life today. That's awesome. I always make that joke. Every time I get up here, I ask how everybody's doing, and most of the time I have to ask again and again. This is like, I guess we, we hate life. I don't know. But I'm happy to be here this morning. Who's happy to be here? Yes. Thank you. All right. Uh, I'm Brian Lamb. I'm one of the uh, next generation ministers. That's what we're calling it these days. Um, basically, it's a fancy way to say that I work with the kids and the, and the students. And so, um, anyways, but the, the reason that we say next generation is because we want um, over there in that building and on Wednesday nights um, upstairs, if you haven't checked out upstairs, it's pretty cool. It's like a big tree house. It's awesome. So, anyways, that's where our students meet. But if, what we want to do is we want to raise up a generation that knows and loves and cherishes Jesus Christ above all things. Okay? And so we aren't just doing some sort of program or anything like that, as Jason talked last week when he introduced me and Cam, but we want to raise up a generation of leaders because someday they're going to be right here, uh, and they're going to be playing, and they're going to be serving, and all those things. And so, anyways, um, I said all that to say this. Um, there are some amazing, all of them are actually amazing, not some, but all of them are, all of them are over there, and, and on Wednesday nights, there are amazing volunteers um, that help out, and I see plenty of them in here right now, Okay. Um, that help out in the nursery or the toddlers or um, the, the kids or, or the, the youth or whatever. If you see those volunteers and if you don't know them, if you're going to go pick up your child or, or whatever, if you see one of those volunteers, will you please just tell them thank you? Because uh, they have done so much for us. And so I want to uh, uh, make, that, make this day, if, if you go see them, about them and about thanking them. So if you know they volunteer, give them a thank you. When you go pick up your kids, give them a thank you because um, they work very, very hard. Um, and give up a lot of their time. So anyways, we're going to be in Luke 15. So everybody open your Bible or your iPad or your iPhone or your tablet. Uh, the list keeps going every time I get up here. So uh, Luke 15. Uh, we're going to spend all of our, pretty much all of our time in Luke 15 today. Uh, but, but we're going to look at the, uh, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Before we start this parable in verse 11, though, we're going to start in verse 1 of Luke 15 and verse 2, okay? Because I want us to see who, who is Jesus talking to? Who is Jesus telling the, the parable of the prodigal son to? Um, I want us to see who is sitting there listening to the words of Jesus Christ talk about and describe the amazing love of God. Because that's what he's going to do. So we're going to start in verse 1 of Luke 15. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, okay? So we have one group of people, the tax collector and sinners. And so the tax collectors were, were people that, that tricked people and deceived people um, so that they could get rich. And so basically they had a guy who owed them $5 and they would charge them 20 or $30 and they would take that extra money and they would put it in their pocket, okay? And they would deceive people, they'd steal and so this would be like, um, they, they even did it to people that didn't have a lot. So it would be like me going downtown, um, going to a homeless person and say, hey, give me your last $2. And then they have no way to eat, no way to stay for shelter. All these things, bad guys, okay? And in their culture, they were not viewed very highly, okay? So we have the tax collectors, and we also have the sinners. Now, it's not just what we think about when we think about sinners. We think about everybody. We think about people that sin. But back in these days, it was more of like a lower class. It was like people that... Um, that, were, that were damaged, people who were deformed, people who were diseased. And so the sinners were considered the people that were blind, that were deaf, that had leprosy, that couldn't walk. Um, they were uh, looked at in this way that the fact that they had a defect or defect um, meant that basically God was not in their favor and God either hated them or did not like them. Okay, that's what they were taught and how they are looked at. Um, the, the funny thing, we won't get into it today, it, it will kind of get into it, but 
these are the exact type of people that Jesus came and healed and helped throughout his entire ministry. And so it's funny that they had that worldview, but anyways. So we have the uh, tax collectors and we have the sinners, and they are drawing near to hear the words of Jesus. And, and the, the worldview at this time of themselves, like what they've been taught by their culture, was that they were outcasts, okay? Um, they had been taught that from, from day one, God had judged them. They were not going to be forgiven. Um, there was going to be no forgiveness, that, uh, that they were going to meet God one day, and it was not going to be a very good time, okay? And so they were thought of as, uh, as just people that there was not going to be love for, there was not going to be forgiveness for, there was not going to be grace for. They weren't allowed to do a lot of things relating to God. And so I, I don't know where you're at or, or where you've been, or your story, um, but I know mine. And I know at one point in my life, I felt like these people. I felt like God can't love me. God would not love me. He wouldn't go after me. I've messed up too much. I've done too much stuff. Okay? I know I've felt like that before, and I know a lot of us in this room have felt like that before, where we feel like it's us and our sin, and that's it. I struggle. God's not going to forgive me. That's what these people felt right now. Okay? And so I want us to get that mindset. These people are like, well, God is only for good people. God's only for the churchy people, the people that go to church. That's for people that do good. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to take that idea and he's going to tell us no. That's, that's not it. And he's going to change it. He's going to change their view of this. Okay, And so that's verse 1. Verse 2, it says, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so here's the second kind of people in the crowd, the people who think, well, I'm it. God loves me because I've done good things. I've done righteous acts. I never, I never fail. I always obey him. He loves me because I do things right. You do things wrong. Why would you even eat with sinners? That's these people. They're, they're these morally upright, upper class. They think they're above everyone else. And they are blinded by their self-righteousness and moral achievements. And so we, the reason I did this is because we, we pulled this in, okay, and we go to verse 11 where the prodigal son is, and we see these two types of people again. We see the younger brother and we see the older brother. And we're going to see these two mindsets the same, okay? And so we're going to see the, the one mindset, I'm not good enough, God can't love me, I've done too much stuff, I have no hope. We see the second one. I'm exactly the type of person God would like because I've been here and I've been doing everything right. Okay, So let's go to verse 11. Verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a, he said that there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. So what just happened here is that there's two sons. The younger one goes to his father and he's like, hey, dad, give me what's mine. So can anybody tell me what has to happen for you to get your inheritance or your estate? What does your dad have to do? He has to die. So he's like, hey, dad, can you just die so I can get my money? Nice guy, huh? And so what does he do? He says that in 13, it says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Good job, younger son. Takes all his money. Goes and squanders it away. Let's keep going. 14. 
After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So the son takes his money, he bails, goes and has some good times, ends up spending all of it, and becomes in need. He's starving to death. And he's in need so much that he hires himself out to go feed pigs. And not only that, but he begins to envy the pig's food. Anybody seen what a pig eats? He just wants that. He's so desperate and in need that he just wants that food. Quick history lesson. Pigs were considered unclean at this time. The lowest of lows. And so this guy, and he was just hoping to eat with them. And so this guy was broken. He had nothing. I'm sure he had some great times spending all that money and squandering his dad's wealth. But what happened after that is he was left in a place of brokenness, in a place of shame, in a place of sorrow, in a place of regret. He, he's about as low as it gets right now. As, as down as it gets. That's where he's at right now. Verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so at this point in the story, we see that the younger brother goes, takes his money, squanders it away, becomes so broken and hungry that he's looking to eat with pigs. And then it says here that he, he comes to his senses. He's had enough. He realizes that, hey, my father's servants have, they not only have food, but they have food to spare. And I'm here starving to death. And so he's going to set out and he's going to go back to his father and, and beg him for mercy and beg him to take him just as a servant. Just as a servant. Not even as a son, as a servant. So he's going to go back and he's going to beg. Now, who are the two groups of people that we have here? What's the first? Tax collectors and sinners. What's the second? Pharisees. Don't forget they're listening to this story. Okay? And so what do you think their mindset is right now? The tax collectors and sinners are like, okay, he's going to go back, right? And the dad's not going to let him in. The dad's not going to help him because he messed up. He's a sinner. Dad's not going to do anything. And even if the dad does, then he's going to have to work it off. He's going to have to be a slave and be a servant just for, to get some food, some spare food from the other servants. And then you got the Pharisees, and they're like, yeah, he's going to go back, and his dad's not going to show him grace. His dad's not going to show him mercy. He messed up. You've you got to do good things, not bad things. He spent all his money. He shouldn't have done that. Dad's not going to help anybody that doesn't help themselves. And so don't forget these two mindsets because we, we read, we're about to read something, and those two are about to be completely wrong. Read verse 20. It says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 22, look here. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast 
and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and so they began to celebrate. Wow. A lot different than the Pharisee and the tax collectors and sinners probably thought it was going to pan out. So we we look at this, but, but we have this idea, so many of us have this idea that if we come to God, we're, we're going to have to do all these things for him to love us, for him to justify us, for him to help us, for him to walk with us. We're going to have to do all this list of things before we get that love from him. And so we look at this story, though, of what Jesus is saying, and, and the son goes back and he says, Dad, I'll be your servant. And the dad looks at him and he says, no, 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 no. You're my son. He says, quick, this, bring the bring a robe, bring a ring, bring sandals, and he kisses him with compassion, and there's a celebration that goes on. He is showing him love. He, he ran to him with compassion. He said, this son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. And he said, he was lost, and now he's found. God, this is important for you to hear, God does not say to you that you have to be his servant before you're his son. We are his sons and daughters. But instead, he, he runs to us with compassion, and he grabs us, and he clothes us, and he kisses us, and he comforts us, and he rescues us. And he celebrates that you and I are alive in him, and that we are found. God is, you need to hear this, God is pleased, and God is delighted when you come to know him through Jesus Christ. And there's a celebration in heaven. God is pleased and God is delighted when you come to know him through Jesus Christ. Now God has already, God's already done the work for us though. That's the thing that a lot of us miss is we feel like, okay, that's, that's awesome. I know it's going to be happy, but we've got to do something to get there. God's already done the work. He's done it in the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was being beaten um, and he didn't fight back, like I, I said this in the last service, it, it amazes me that Jesus was charged on, on, with charges that he didn't do, that he was beaten and he was mistreated, and he didn't fight back. He didn't say a word. He went the whole way because he knew that he needed to do it. He went the whole way for you. And so God did all the work for us in the fact that Jesus was beaten when his flesh was torn off of his body, when he was nailed to that cross, That's God running towards us with compassion, saying, hey, hey, I did it for you. I did it all. You're my son now. You're my my daughter now. I love you. Most of us need to hear that tonight because we feel like we have to do all these things. We have to be a servant first. And here's, guys, the price is too steep. You can't pay it back. You can try all day but you're going to be exhausted. Jesus already has. And that's the beauty in the cross that that we who have um, gone astray, that have turned our backs on God, who have said, I'm going to do this my own way, I'm going to do it with my own power, with my own strength, become in a place of need, of starvation, of brokenness, of sinfulness, of shame, of sorrow, We feel like there's no hope for us, there's nowhere to turn, and there's God running down the aisle with compassion for us, with his arms wide open. 
he's ready to clothe us and kiss us. So many of us have this silly view of, oh, God can't love me. God can't love me. He won't pick me up unless I do these things. I'm not good at that list. What he's saying, no, 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 no. Listen, quit trying. I I love you. I, I showed you that I loved you. I sent my son. I sacrificed my son for you. I showed you how much I love you. Rest in that and trust in me. I've already done everything. That's what he's saying to us. All right, let's keep going. 25. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother become, became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he, he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So the older brother comes back, sees the party going on, hears the music. Must have been pretty... Big celebration, it was. So he sees this, and he asks somebody what's going on, and they tell him, hey, you know, your, your brother came back, and so he hears about it, he refuses to go in, the father comes out and pleads with him, and his son's like, I can't, I can't believe you would do this. Like, like, why are you celebrating him? Like, he, he left. He took your money and ran, and then he spent it all. I'm the one that's been here since day one, I'm the one that's been slaving for you. I'm the one that's never disobeyed your orders. I'm the one that's done all the right things. Where's my celebration? Where's my party? I've never messed up. This reminds me so much of the Pharisees. Reminds me of those of us that feel, and yes, there are those of us that feel this way, that we have earned our way to heaven. No, you haven't. Those of us that go around and we, we put our hope, we, we do this without knowing sometimes, but we, we put our hope in how well we perform in our righteous acts for God. And we end up having an idea that, that God loves us more than other people because of how good we are. As if God's love is only big enough for the people that don't mess up very much. And he's preaching against that. He's, he's preaching against the people that go, God saved me because I was good. God, save me because I showed him that he, I, he needs me on his team. He's preaching against those of us that, that honestly, honestly believe in some form or fashion that we've worked off our sin in some way. There are some people that are just too far off that really don't have a chance. I haven't met many of those people here, thankfully, but there are those people out there. People that honestly believe that God's love for us is based off and contingent on what we do for him. Uh, Here's the problem with that mindset. Here's the problem with that line of thinking, okay? Everybody heard the gospel? Yes, okay. Good news of Jesus? Yeah, we've heard? Okay. Here's the, the point of it. God saves sinners. God saves sinners. You, me, all of us are sinners. We have gone astray. Before we knew Christ, we were far away. 
Before we knew Christ, we were far away. And God has shown us love by sending his son to die for our sins. God's love doesn't have bounds or limits with it. God's love is not contingent on how well we act and we perform for him. We all needed every bit of the cross, and it paid it all. We needed every bit. And so to say or to think that some of your good acts have bought you into heaven or have bought you to God is to completely, completely take away from what Jesus has done on the cross and his work. Now here's the awesome thing. I, I love this. Because what Jesus is about to say here as we finish this little part is that he came to save to show grace, to show love to sinners, to the younger brother, but to also gently and lovingly correct the older brother. Let's look at verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the father's response was, look, you're always with me. And everything I had was yours. But, but we, what he's doing here is he's, he's assuring the older brother that he loves him. But he also loves the younger brother. What he's trying to do is he's trying to say, look, 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 look. This isn't some competition where there's a first and second place. He's saying, I, I, I love you and I love him. And my love is not contingent on what you do for me. But my love is abounding. My love is never ending. My love is vast. And so my question for y'all this morning is, in Luke 15, which one are you, the tax collector, the sinner, the younger brother, or the Pharisee? Where are you sitting? Have you bought into this idea that you've gone too far for God to save you? That you've done these things that nobody can forgive, especially God? And so you tell yourself you're just not going to try. Because God can't save you. God can't love you. God can't rescue you. God can't kiss you with compassion and, and run towards you because you've done too much stuff, too many bad things. You've sinned too much. There's no way that God would come running towards compassion. Is that, is that how you feel? Because some of us do. Let me tell you right now, if you, you have to hear on this, if that's you, if you really believe that, you are, if you really believe that, you're thinking uh, you're accepting a lie. That is a lie. And it's completely robbing you of all the grace and the mercy and the love that come with Jesus Christ. He died for you on the cross. He knew that you were going to be sinful. We see all throughout the Bible that God shows love. God calls these people. God uses these people that are messed up, that are considered the worthless and lowest people. He uses them to advance his kingdom and his glory. Everybody turn to 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. That's where we're going to go. 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1. This is a letter from Paul to Timothy. That's why it's called Timothy, just so you all know. Verse 12. Verse 12. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, 
persecutor and insolent opponent, but I receive mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so this is Paul saying that God had mercy on him, had grace on him. God loved him when he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent of God. God loved him. What did Paul do before he knew Christ? Anybody know? Killed Christians. He went around and he killed Christians before he knew Christ. He was an opponent. He was an enemy. So like I, I know a lot of us in here, there's a lot of things that we feel like we're, we're in a lot of pain. We're in a lot of hurt for the things that we've done, for the sins that we've committed. But I'm pretty sure that we don't have anybody in here that's going around murdering Christians today. But this is who Paul was. This is who Paul was before he knew Christ. He killed Christians. Yet God still loved him. God still used him. He says in verse 15 that Christ came to save sinners of who I am the foremost. In verse 16 it says that he received mercy, he received love, he received grace that God called him to himself to display Jesus' perfect patience. In other words, to say, to let us know that none of us can go, I've gone too far. God can't cover my sin. God won't love me. God won't do this for me. I'm too bad. I'm too horrible. We can't say that. He's the foremost is what he's saying here. The Bible is packed full of people that God's used who were messed up and broken. Moses, David, Paul. The list goes on. Have you, have you guys ever wondered why the death of Jesus was so gruesome? Like, why it's so bloody? Why it's so gut-wrenching? Because it is, if, if you haven't seen it. It's because he paid for all of it. There is nothing that he did not pay for. He paid for every past, present, and future sin. Paul says it like this in Romans 5, 6 through 8. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Colossians 1, 21 through 22, it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You who were weak, who were sinful, who were enemies, who were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's taking you, 
not only does he love you so much to save you, but he's presenting you holy and blameless before God. So you are over here and he's taking you and presenting you holy. He's making you like God. Hear me on this. It's, it's a healthy thing. It really is. It is a healthy thing, I believe, biblically. It's a healthy thing to feel and understand the weight of your sin. It is. To know that you have sinned against a holy and perfect God. But it's also a healthy thing to know that there is nothing that you have done that is outside the love of God. There is nothing that the blood of Christ has not covered or will not cover. You have to trust in that. Jesus on the cross can forgive anything. There is no one who has gone too far. There is no one who is too messed up that they cannot receive God's love. There is nothing that was too big for Jesus. Or maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you're like the Pharisee. Maybe you're like the older brother. Where you feel as though God's love for you and saving you was contingent on what you have done for him. To where you, you boast and you believe in yourself and your self-made righteousness rather than the one that comes from God. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, uh, that all of our righteous, good acts are like filthy rags to God. Meaning, on your best day, at your very best, you are like a filthy rag to God. You're righteous, good acts. Not your sinful acts, your good acts are. He is so far above us. He is so much more holy than us. See how much we need Jesus. If our good acts are like filthy rags, we need Jesus. See how arrogant it is, how extremely arrogant it is to say or to think that God loves you based off of how good a person you are. It's not based off of the blood of Christ. There's a parable uh, in Luke 18. I want us all to turn to Luke 18. Uh, It's starting in verse 9. This will be our last scripture. Luke 18, starting in verse 9. He also says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. When I first read that, I didn't understand it. It's like, this this is the guy that does all the good things. Why is he not justified? Why is this guy? So Jesus starts off um, telling us why he's telling this parable, and it's in verse 9, and he says, it's for those who trust in themselves for their righteousness and treat others with contempt. And so we see that there's two men, they're going up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, one a tax collector, just like the two people that are listening to Jesus teach the prodigal son. 
Um, so we have these two people. The Pharisee prays and he thanks God. He says, thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. I'm not an extortioner, an adulterer. I'm not unjust. And then he starts listing off all these good things that he does. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I owe. So he doesn't just fast once a week. Most of us can barely get once a month. He doesn't just pay tithes on what he gets after taxes. He pays on all of it. And so that's the end of his prayer, though. And then we see this tax collector who is standing far off, cannot even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beats his chest. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then Jesus has this to say to us. This man, talking about the tax collector, went down to his house justified. Then there's a big comma. It says, rather than the other. And so the Pharisee, who wasn't an adulterer, wasn't an extortioner, tithed on all he owed, fasted twice a week, does not go down justified. And at the end of this, we have this beautiful reason to why this is, because this is, this is mind-boggling to me, at least, at first. It was. Um, and we see here this beautiful reasoning um, as he says that um, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and those who humble himself will be exalted. And so the point of this parable is that one, one person trusted in their good deeds and what they've done, what they haven't done, who they are, who they aren't. They trusted in that for righteousness, right standing with God, for salvation, while the other trusted in the mercy and the love of God alone. When we start to understand this idea that that God's love is the only thing that saves us, that, that we didn't have anything to do with that, His love is just that great. When we understand that we are broken, all of us are broken and sinful, just like everyone else, that that Jesus was the one who purchased 100% of our souls, not us. He purchased them for his kingdom. When we get that, our salvation becomes that much sweeter to us. living in the freedom from sin and for the glory of God, which is what we've been talking about. We, living for the freedom of sin, from the freedom of sin, and for the glory of God becomes not something that we do to gain access, but becomes who we are because God loved us. There's a movie uh, called Hitch. Who's seen it? Awesome. So much better than the first service. So there's a movie called Hitch, and it's got Will Smith in it, it's got some other people in it as well. Um, and he's basically this, this date doctor, okay? And so what he does, if you haven't seen it, what he does is he gets guys who are too shy, he gets them dates, okay? He gets them dates with women that are way out of their league. And that's kind of his, his deal. He makes a lot of money off of it. And so anyways, there's a, there's a scene from that movie uh, where Will Smith and Kevin James uh, are in it, and, and he's trying to tell Kevin James how big of a deal the first kiss is in a relationship, that most women base their relationship off of that first kiss, okay? And so he goes up to him, so he's like, show me what you got. <laughs> and Kevin James is like, I'm not going to kiss you. And so he doesn't. And then he's like, okay, well, well, show me anyways. And so he's like, 
goes up to me, he's like, like this, like that. You know, he, he doesn't really know what he's doing, right? And so, anyways, so Will Smith's like, okay, here's the secret to a good kiss. Here's the secret to a good kiss. You go 90% and let them come 10. So you go 90%, let them come 10%, okay? And then you got them. And so he's like, try it. So, of course, it's a movie. Kevin James goes the whole 100, kisses Will Smith on the mouth, and Will Smith's a little upset. He's like, whoa, 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 I told you to go 90 and I'll go 10. You, went the, you don't go the whole 100, man. Y'all seen it? Hey, that was good acting right there. I think it was, okay? I mean, I should get a Grammy for that. Will Smith needs a, no, not a Grammy, an Academy Award, I'm sorry. So anyways, the Grammys are for singers. I know that. So anyways, I, I'm telling you that story to tell you this one. Uh, really early on in my relationship uh, with, with Allie, my fiance, I remember watching this episode because I was uh, at my apartment uh, with Zach, and I was like, hey, man, I, I'm scared. Okay, like, like we got our first kiss. I know it's coming up. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I'm terrified. And so he's like, well, watch Hitch. And so I was like, <laughs> all right, let's watch Hitch and let's get, some, let's get some, uh, some pointers. So we watch Hitch. And so, of course, the, the idiot that I am, um, I told her earlier that week that I said, hey, I'm going to kiss you this weekend. I was like, and I, it's just one of those stupid macho comments because I was terrified of it, right? I was terrified. And so the weekend comes, we're at the TCU football game uh, with my family. Jason Lewis and Braxton are there. Uh, Braxton's like just jumping all over us and everything, going crazy. Um, you know, it's a good time, go frogs. And uh, so then the kiss cam comes on. It's like, great, awesome. And Jason Lewis is like, you know, hey, get up there, get up there. I'm like, because in my mind, like I shut down and I was in shock. And I was like, Oh no, what do I do here? Please don't, please don't put us on there. Please don't. I haven't kissed a girl in like seven years and I don't even know what I did then. And I just, I don't know. Oh, oh gosh, there are two rows behind us. What's going to happen? We're next. And I was, I was just so, eventually, we, we weren't on there. And it was the best time ever. I just, thanks. I didn't have to do it there. So, but what happened later, I forgot, or actually I remembered that I told her I was going to kiss her this weekend. So, you know, I go, we're, we're at the house, and uh, I go and uh, put some mouthwash in, brush my teeth. I'm not kidding. I really did do this, okay? I'm like, I'm thinking in there, I'm in the mirror. My hitch says, go 90. All right. All I got to do is go 90, she'll come to 10. All I got to do is go 90, she'll come to 10, get in there. I'm like, oh, that's 20. Okay, I just got to work it up. Uh, there's 50. Oh, no. Okay. I'm about to get to 90. Well, long story short, I chickened out, didn't go 90, didn't go anything. She kissed me, went the hole in 100. <laughs> and she never, I never get to live that down either. So Nick told me after he heard the first sermon that my man card was taken away, so that's, that's okay. <laughs> so I, I say all that to say this, though. So many of us go in to God with that mindset. Okay, God's love gets me 90%. I got to come in and do the other 10. And what Jesus is trying to tell us is that he went the whole 100% for us. Jesus is trying to tell us that, that he didn't just go 90 so that we have to come in and do the 10. But God's love was poured out for us. The full 100. Okay? God's love 
you got to get this. God's love is not dependent upon you to get the 10% right. Because God's love is not 90%, but it's 100. And so Jesus is trying to show us this in this prodigal son parable. Because when we look at how the father reacted to the son who had betrayed him, who was in sin, who was shame, who was in brokenness, when we look at how the son, how the father responded to the son, and he comes running to him with compassion and kisses him and clothes him and all those things, the same attributes and characteristics our father in heaven has. He is running towards us, graciously running towards us, with love and saying, I did it for you. I sent my son to die on the cross. I raised him three days later so that you two would raise and spend eternity with me with no more tears, with no more pain, with no more suffering. You will be in my kingdom and you will be my son. You will be my daughter. There's there's not a love and we won't experience a love like that in our lifetime. I said this last service. I'm experiencing this really weird new love that I've never had for another person and I'm getting married in 48 days. Okay? Starting early. So, But I'm experiencing this new love that I've never experienced before but there's nothing like the love of God. She will not compare. She won't. And nobody has loved you more and showed it better than God when he sent his son to die for you. And so this story, this, this picture that Jesus is giving us, because that's what he's doing, is he's painting this picture for us. He, it should create this outburst of joy in our hearts that God loves us, that the Father, the creator of the universe, loves us, loves us so much. We need to be reminded of this. We need to read stories like this every day. Day in and day out, we have to be reminded of God's love. That would be my biggest challenge for you. See how your spiritual life goes if you start being reminded of God's love for you every day. Because when we're reminded of that, we're able to live in his grace and in his love and the freedom from our sin and from our brokenness and from our shame. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you have shown us a love that we will see nowhere else. Lord, I thank you that you sacrificed your son, that we would, that we who are sinful people who have turned away from you would be saved, become holy like you. Lord, I thank you that you have purchased our souls, that we will be in a kingdom where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. Lord, you have showed us love, and I pray for the person this morning 
that is trusting like the tax collector and the sinner that God cannot love them and he will not love them. Lord, that you take that lie away from them and that they are able to see how you are running like the father from the prodigal son, that you are running to them full of compassion, full of love. Lord, I pray that they are open to the beauty that's in the cross. Lord, I pray that their hearts are open, that their eyes, that they can see, they can hear you. Lord, let them know that they are loved. I know that's hard. Some of us have never been loved before. Some of us just don't know what to do with it, Lord. I pray that they just trust you. That may be the first time this morning. I pray that you would give them the boldness and the strength to go and talk with somebody. Or I also pray for those of us that have been trusting in ourselves, that have been trusting in our own righteousness, in our own acts, in our own good deeds to get us by. Lord, let us stop. Let us quit. Let us live in the freedom that comes from your love. Let us live in the grace. Let that drive us, not the list. Lord, your grace, your love is never ending. Our self-righteousness and our self-made good deeds are. And it will lead us to sorrow, and it will lead us to sin, and it will lead us to brokenness. It will lead us upset. Lord, may we trust in you. And those of us that have not turned this over, may we repent this morning. May we trust in you. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be upon us, that as we sing praises to your name, that you would work in our hearts, that we would not just stand here and not just be people that are in a building, Lord, but that we would move as you move. Lord, if we need to talk to somebody that we know every week that people are in the back, if we need to come and pray, Lord, whatever, Lord, please move among your people. It's in your beautiful name I pray, amen.